The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. What is this? Pride, move these people back. Welcome to Subversive Cinema. Oh my god! I never forget a face, especially if I'm sad on it. Welcome back for yet another edition of the show. Your host here, Art Hall. And today, I'm going to be your purveyor of the perverse, your Sherpa to the strange, and your docent to the disgusting. Because we're talking about what could quite possibly be the best travel video for the tourism board for the state of Maryland, Pink Flamingos, 1972, John Waters, trashy classic. And to talk about it, is my old good friend, Mike, and also producing partner, because I make movies too, don't you know? Mike, how are you doing? Good, Art. How are you doing? Fantastic. Now, you have seen this, but has it been a while? It has been a while, yes. Uh, Were you happy that I made you watch it again? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually, a, yeah, I'm a big John Waters fan, and, um, you know, this is stuff we'll probably discuss later, but like again, I had an interesting experience re revisiting this one, and I'll I'll elaborate on that later. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know about Pink Flamingos, it was uh, sort of the crown jewel in John Waters' is uh, a career for quite a while. Uh, in that it was just so goddamn outrageous. It's a little story about love, filth, eggs, incest, cannibalism, and shit. And uh, boy, oh boy. This is really what subversion is all about. So just to break it down for everybody, we're here today to figure out what exactly is it that makes this movie what it is. We're going to look for that subversive sauce, that, that secret ingredient and blend of spices that make it extra subversively spicy. And this movie, to break it down for everybody, tells the story of Divine, playing Divine, who is currently the filthiest person alive with her very, very fucking weird family of her son, Crackers, her roommate, Cotton, and her mother, Edie. And they get challenged as the filthiest people alive by this really, really whacked out couple, Raymond and Connie Marble. And what ensues after that is this weird odyssey down the rabbit hole of just crazy shit that you'd expect to see in a jackass movie these days. Um, we'll get to it, but it's everything, like I said, incest. There's a lot more anus in this than anybody could have ever thought. Um, it's it's something special. So let's get started with the first ingredient here, Mike. Let's talk about the characters. So for you, what characters stood out and why? For me, the most part, uh, this time around, um, it's more of the... Um, the small brief like side characters that we only see briefly they like they kind of jumped out at me a little bit more this time of course it's like if you ever do get around to seeing pink flamingos and i actually do highly recommend it like to everyone but uh, if you do get around to seeing it and can stomach it you know the first time i saw it of course i was just in shock of everything and every character but you know i, I have um watched it a few times and this time for me, it's more the side characters, like, you know, the the guy with the whistling asshole, you know, has, like kind of stands out to me. And then um, you, of course, had the um, uh, the pre-op 
um, a lady who was a week away from completely transitioning to a woman. So like what, what's great about this movie is you just have this great moments where, you know, um, the character of, um, uh, who is it, the, the boyfriend? Raymond. Raymond, yeah, Raymond Marvel's like, he, uh, they established right away that he likes to, um, he likes to flash his dick at, at women. And he's got, um, he's always got like a kebab, you know, tied to his dick or what have you. And he flashes, you know, he, he sees, he sees a lovely looking woman, you know, near um, Baltimore's inner harbor. And he decides to flash his dick at her. She in return flashes her boobs at, uh, at him. Very, very lovely rack there. And then lifts up her dress to find out, oh, she's pre-op. And then a week later, that that uh, actress transitioned completely. So it's like, it's great that they were able to get her during that small window of time and then put her in the film and get that lovely moment. Yep. that you. Uh, I'm glad that you actually went by the way of the smaller side piece characters because that's typically the way I go whenever I ask people. They always tend to go right for the main characters that are kind of the, you know, every, a lot of these movies we talk about, all the characters are interesting, but for me, it's always these little sidebars. And for me, Edie, I mean, look, she's a grown woman sitting in a fucking playpen who's obsessed with eggs. I mean, everything about her is just giant adolescent who somehow had a child is adorable to me. And quite possibly the man I like to call Baltimore in one man is the fucking Eggman? Yes. yes, and he, I, I, there's, he's so simple, so easy, but man, he is just earnest, and he comes through, and he just, he just shows his undying love for Edie. So, for those of you who aren't really familiar with Baltimore, and you wouldn't necessarily see this so much in TV shows like The Wire, but from a lot of John Waters stuff, you'll really get a handle on what the Baltimore accent is. And it is bad. In <laughs> fact, I'd like to share a little soundbite of what that sounds like. Across town, located in the teeming metropolis known as downtown Balmer, live Connie and Raymond Marble. <laughs> <laughs> downtown Balmer. It's like, Balmer. oh, my Lord. <laughs> I, I, I'll never get tired of these fucking names either, you know. <laughs> Cookie. Crackers, Cotton, Eggman, Patty Hitler apparently was a great one, which uh, they cut most of her stuff out, played by John yeah. Waters' close friend and uh, big-time casting lady in Baltimore, Pat Moran. Um, man, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of characters that are interesting. And also the other one that stood out to me was the basement prisoner, one of the women being held against her will to give birth to Raymond and Connie's baby selling thing is Susie, the one who's constantly yelling the entire time she's there. She is acting so hard. I have to give her so much credit for just constantly just acting every time she shows up. It's amazing. And, it, and it's like, like all of her scenes, it's like this, this monologue of, this, yep. you know, consciousness. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's so many really good lines in this mm -hmm. um here's one that i was really particular of well how can you stand yourself i guess there's just two kinds of people miss sandstone my kind of people and assholes it's rather obvious which category you fit into <laughs> that's solid and there's other great ones like 
get the let out of your ass because somebody's moving too slow, you know, or convicted of assholeism. God, that's about to say. John Waters, he's a he's a poet with the phrase, man. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> so as we can see, there's a lot of memorable characters. Um, are there any others that stand out to you, or? I mean, yeah, no, those, like those were the big. I mean, like you said, like every character like has a moment to shine in this in this movie. You know, it's like, and and like what I really like about like kind of the backstory of the movie is like most of these people were just friends of John Waters or John, you know, John Waters, you know, knew these people and he specifically wrote these parts for them, you know, knowing like, you know, like, hey, I got some fucked up friends. They're willing to do this shit. So I'll have so-and-so do this and I'll have so-and-so do that and everything. And yeah, just, just wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, it's, it's a different time period where to do what he did was, must've been so novel and unique. There's not a lot of people running around with cameras making movies like that. And uh, so just to hear you're going to do a movie and nobody could have ever thought about the future and transmission of information that, you know what, fuck it. Let's do some weird, crazy shit on camera and it's okay. You know, a lot of the cinema goers were not used to seeing these kinds of characters and these things that you're seeing on film happen. So he really broke some serious ground with, with taboo and what could be seen in a theater. And I'm, Watching it again, I was still shocked at some of the stuff. I was like, man, I forgot that that happened. I forgot that this happened. And what's also amazing is the fact that he was able to carve a career out of it. Like, you know, he, you know he's never been, he's never been like, you know, big studio guy. And, he, and I don't think he ever wanted to be. But um, the fact that he made this filthy movie and yet someone said, I'm going to give you a budget to make another movie. You know? Yeah, it's like he went off and he did, you know, some of these trashy movies, these like little indie, you know, uh, uh, perversions. And then all of a sudden he's making Hairspray. Yep. And then Crybaby, then Serial Mom. So now that we're talking about all these crazy things that are happening. So let's talk about the story. I already sort of ran it down, but essentially it is you have these two factions of, of people who one set is clearly generally terrible because they are, you know, having women birth these children that they take from them and then sell um though they aren't what i would call traditionally filthy then you have divine's family who they just seem to be sort of criminals in talking but you don't really see them do anything wrong but they are filthy i mean crackers for christ's sake has sex with a woman and there's a chicken involved or a couple chickens which you know as we all know or like the audience might not but those Chicken died while filming that sequence. Um, but, and, you know, and it's just like real blood and shit happening. So those pe- that family strikes me as filthy, but their psychosis doesn't come out till later. So as far as the narrative goes, Mike, it's a pretty simple, straightforward story, but does it make any damn sense? You know, for the most part, yes. I would argue that, that it does. Um, John Waters famously um, is quoted as saying like, you know, he was not stoned when he made the movie, but he was stoned when he wrote it. Yeah. And I will say, you know, the, the story is definitely disjointed. It's, it, you know, it's very disjointed. Like, I, like we said, like there are characters that just kind of, you know, just go on these long monologue tangents, really. And they're speaking the dialogue word for word as it was written. And then, of course, you have uh, John Waters doing a little bit of um, 
you know, narration, voiceover. And I'm sure he did that to kind of bridge the gap, you know, fill in a few blanks. Uh, but at the heart of it, because this movie does have heart, uh, you know, it does have a story that essentially makes sense. You know, it's a simple story. Yes. Yeah, like you have two factions of people, you know, that, uh, I, you know, I would argue that um, the marbles, it's more their, um, you know, they're jealous of divine and they want to, for whatever reason, dethrone her as the filthiest person alive. So they go about like both these factions go about trying to one up each other, essentially. So, you know, there is this interesting conflict, you know, going out through the story. It's just a matter of like, who's going to come out on top. <laughs> well, let's hear a little bit about what the Marbles plan is as far as their, their day in and day out. So that Raymond and I far surpass her in every aspect of the term filth. As you know, we run a baby ring. Oh, it's really a very simple process. We keep two girls at all times who are impregnated by Channing, our rather fertile servant. We sell the babies to lesbian couples, and then we invest the money in various businesses around town. We own a few pornography shops, plus we front money to a chain of heroin pushers in the inner city elementary schools. This is so fucking ridiculous. I love it. It's like he took everything he could and said, how do we make a twist on it? We, we, we make these babies. By the way, it's our servant, our manservant who's fertile. Then we sell the babies to couples who, by the way, are lesbian. And then we own some businesses. By the way, they're pornography shops. Oh, and then we front money the drug dealers who, by the way, sell to elementary school kids. It's like he's always ratcheting it up, which I want to comment on one of the, uh, it was just, just, visually nasty to me one of the the more um just abhorrent scenes is when this manservant doesn't want to have sex with the the woman so you see him turn around and he masturbates into his hand and then he gets a syringe and he proceeds to do a basement iui which was just so fucking gross and then <laughs> and then we go from that we cut to the marbles having quote-unquote sex which is really them laying head to foot, sucking the almighty Christ out of each other's toes. And this is when I saw quite possibly the finest costuming detail ever. They both have very brightly colored hair. He's blue, she's red, but they also dyed their pubic hair to match. And yep. that was lovely. Yeah, you know, again, John Waters, he found these people willing to do, it's like, like, do you mind dyeing your pubic hairs? It's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'll do that, hon. That's fine. <laughs> Speaking of accents, I need to hear some Eggman in my life. So let's take a little stroll with the Eggman. Well, I would be honored to attend, and especially with such a beautiful date. And now, Edie, what will it be today? I have grade A extra large. I have grade A large. I have medium. I have small. I have brown. And I have white. Why, look, just look at these. So fresh you could hardly believe it. Why, they're just begging to be scrambled or fried or poached or hard-boiled. All around ready to be thrown into a big, fat, juicy omelet. How about it, Edie? What would it be for the lady that the eggs like the most? bold most jesus it's gross and i love it <laughs> so that was lovely i agree with you there is um 
there is quite a, a charmingly disjointed quality to the whole thing. But to say that it's hard to follow would would be a, a you know a misstatement. It's pretty simple and straightforward as a story, but you know it makes sense. But it doesn't make any damn sense. But it makes sense. It's um, again, a guy wrote it when he was stoned, and he got a bunch of his friends together. And you know, I mean, Christ during the party scene, you know, Divine's actually doing real poppers with her friends. So everybody's like high during this movie. Apparently, um, in the in the commentary like john Mars is watching the movies and he can pinpoint the right the, the exact moment he says and here's where the popper really oh yeah that's right <laughs> and she starts laughing it's like hysterically laughing man there's just so many moments in this so okay let's get to the real meat and potatoes of this whole discussion which is the final factor of it we talked about character we talked about story let's talk about the what the fuck factor because that is really where this sauce is made up in its lion's share because it seems like give it a few minutes and you'll find something else to go. What the fuck did I just watch any major? What the fuck moments that really stood out to you? And I know it's a hard question to ask because there's so many, but what about you? what do you think? Well, so this is like, this is where I was saying before, like the interesting experience I had revisiting this movie. Cause um, you know, this is, I would say this is the fourth time I've watched this movie and it's like, you know, I don't watch this movie on a regular basis. You know, <laughs> you got to be in the right mood for Pink Flamingos. But, um, you know, it's, it is that interesting thing of like, I have seen it enough where it's like, I knew what to expect. So like revisiting it, believe it or not, I was very much less disgusted about it uh, this time around. And for me, it was more questioning. It's like, is it because I've revisited it so often? Is it because like there have been more fucked up things? Since, like you, you mentioned Jackass before. I feel like there's been much more fucked up shit on Jackass than there has been in Pink Flamingos. So it's like, it's more just, um, yeah, it's more of a, you know, philosophical, so sociological question, you know, like, is it, was it uh i know it was fucked up for the time like people had not seen what john waters did in my like in 1972 they did not see a movie like that before but it's been such a part of our pop culture i guess for lack of a better term um and you know it has been in the social conscious for so long it's like is it really fucked up for the time is it fucked up you know, comparatively speaking to what, you know, goes on today in movies or what people consider entertainment. So it's more of a, yeah, I know it's more of a, it's not, it's not a straightforward answer, but more of a answer, answering a question with another question. Well, I would posit that while there are the stunt shows that are happening, the thing that I would comment on is that in those sort of films, those are being done for the clear purpose of stunt, which obviously a lot of this was done in this movie as a stunt, but there was still a bit more of at least a narrative framework for it to happen. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I can say, I've seen, you've seen a bunch of movies, I've seen a bunch of movies. I don't think there's ever been as much time spent on A, an asshole, yes. <laughs> as there is in this movie. Yes, we've seen incest in films, but have we ever seen unsimulated incest performance done with such a plum 
as opposed, you know, and it's just very cheeky. Well, that's almost like a pun I didn't mean to make, but I mean, you know, like you see, uh, you see incest in movies done usually very dramatically, very seldom is it done comedically. And if it is, it's done very lightheartedly here. You have divine going full on down on her son. I mean, that's something that's, so I think there's a little bit of a bridge in that there's some things that it was shocking because of the time, but there's some things I think that until we see, or, you know, maybe these movies exist out there and I haven't seen them, but until we see some more of that just brave, just bucking convention and and just going for it, I think that this is going to hold a place that a lot of movies can't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, earlier in the season, we were talking about a Serbian film. And the thing with that movie, it's that's incredibly demented, but it's all fake. Right. And all the stuff you're seeing in this movie, that's the difference. Everything in here is real. Right. I want to touch base on that singing anus thing. Mm-hmm. I actually just read for a long time, the, the actor who played that had gone uh, anonymous because mm-hmm. he worked for the Social Security Administration. <laughs> his parents to know. Um, and once his parents were dead and then he actually ended up passing away in June of last year due to complications from pneumonia. And that's when his wife was, you know, he told his wife, when I'm dead, then you can tell people who I am. And John Waters had kept the secret for 48 years. The actor's name was David Gluck. And he was a uh, social security guy. He worked at the administration. So yeah, he was a very straight laced dude, but yet he, uh, he cut loose and let his butthole sing. So RIP David Gluck. Thank you for your singing. Uh, I mean, we got some other stuff. There's a lot of scat in this, you know. I, I love when uh, I love when this moment happens. Not just because of the fun fact that I I read about it, but just in Divine's delivery here. Oh, oh my God Almighty! Someone has sent me a bowel movement. <laughs> Somebody sent me a bowel movement, uh, which is delightful because prior to the take, Divine actually shat in the box. And the co-stars didn't know that. So oh, when she opens the box, that's her turd in there. Oh. And they didn't know what to expect. And when you watch, you can really see it on Crackers' face, um, that reaction. So again, scat humor, there's that. Then there's, of course, the infamous dog scene at the very end that was, I think, the first thing that I ever heard about this movie when I was a kid. I never, I hadn't seen it, but everybody talked about, you hear this movie Pink, pink flamingos it's an old movie but some 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 lady eats dog shit it's real how did that scene make you feel again everything about this movie shocked me the first time i saw it you know second time you know still still a little surprising third started leveling off and again watching it this time it was it was this this weird thing of like yes just because i knew what to expect or what have you had had a fun time revisiting it but like i I was definitely less you know i was definitely numb to it at at that point um and yeah you you do you did mention like yeah there there is there is uh, unsimulated sex in this um in this movie and i i guess also you know um another thing i i kind of consider of um I know it because Pink Flamingos again like definitely fits into this weird category that especially I feel like um you know it was part of the the midnight movie trends in the 1970s and what have you where 
they were still they 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 definitely weren't mainstream, but they were still they they still had like an artistic vision to them, and they were trying to tell a story, and yet they were also kind of just a just a few rungs above porn. You know, <laughs> porn was doing the same thing at the time. It's like you look at you like you rewatch something like um Deep Throat. You know that has a lot of humor to it. That actually is also telling a little bit of a quote unquote story. Um, so yeah, it's like for for me, it's like watching it this time was was kind of completely fine with it. But again, uh, it's more of me questioning: Is it because I've seen it so so much? Have I, or is it because I've seen much more shocking things? And that's what's great about subversive cinema is the fact that like, or also like, what is cinema? What is art? What is anything? Any creative endeavor? That is correct. That is absolutely correct. And I just need to hear some more of John Waters' narrator. I, I love that he's breaking the fourth wall and delivering to us some of the finest Baltimorean you can get. Even with the hectic events of the day, Raymond Marble still finds time to satisfy his perverted urges. Watch as he not only commits another act of indecent exposure, but adds to this social horror by making his wife wait in the car. Is there no shame? <laughs> and I got one more. <laughs> Exposure. God, those O's are delightful. All right. Let's see. One more. That is not the only shock you had before you, Raymond Marble, because at this exact moment, Divine has learned of your jealous scheme from the local town gossip. She also has your address, asshole. <laughs> uh, the, oh, the they're looking <laughs> in the house, and when they when the marbles come back and try and see on the furniture, the furniture is like rejecting them. Yeah, it's just pushing them off. <laughs> I like there's like a little bit of this uh, this supernatural poltergeist sort of energy going on there. Oh no, the chair's rejecting me. <laughs> wow, wow. My Lord, uh, there's just so many wonderful, wonderful things here. Um, oh God, I could literally just play section after section after section of this. But uh, man, man, I tell you, it's um, there. There's no end to to the depravity, and it's just so wonderful. And then you know we get into this weird shift. To me, I don't know. There was just like this suddenly weird beat change because I think, well, in the version that you saw. You, there's the deleted scenes at the end that, you know, I wish they were in the film because they might provide a little bit more context and sort of balance things out. Because the way the film stands, you don't really see any outright aggression and violence from Divine's camp until the end. But there's other scenes such as getting revenge on Cookie where, you know, her son and Cotton go and they stab the shit out of her after shooting her mom. And, you know, all this other, this, like these moments are in there that, you know, that are lost. So for me watching it this way, uh, cause I don't think I'd ever seen the deleted scenes before until today, um, seeing it, it, it felt like there was a little bit of a, of a, a, a shift in gears when she calls the press conference and then it almost starts to mirror, um, 
the movie snuff in the sense where in the last few minutes, things just take a weird turn that it's just like, I know it's the same movie because it's the same people, but what's going on all of, on all of a sudden, you know? Um, and then things just get a little outrageous. I don't know with, uh, the reporters just being totally cool with watching a murder and they're kind of excited about it. Well, first they're like, wait, are we going to see an actual execution? Oh, well, we'll be sure to put it on the front page. <laughs> I don't know. It was a little interesting, but um, yeah, there was also the whole scene um, where the marbles tell the police where divine is and they break up the party and then they proceed to kill and eat the police. <laughs> yep, there's the cannibalism other than Divine talking about loving the taste of blood, which had that cannibalism scene uh, not happened, that would have been very strange. But yeah, they just attack these police, which by the way, they have, <laughs> I love these bullshit walkie-talkies they got as props because they have these three foot long antennas sticking out of them. And yeah, that was just great independent prop right there. But yeah, they just took him down and then she's eating like this giant Fred Flintstone sized bone with hanging meat. And it's like, like, you know, did anyone report the missing police? Is the rest of the police department wondering what happened to those missing cops? It's like it's it, it's this different world. Like it, it's John Waters version of Baltimore. And, and hey, the as as they uh, as they said in Chinatown, forget about it, Mike. It's Baltimore. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Any other bits and pieces that seem to stand out or anything that you just wanted to share or comment on regarding this um, <laughs> this piece of this piece of cinema here? I just, you know, again, like I said, big John Waters fan. Um, for me, it was interesting of uh, when I I, of course, got into John Waters. It's like growing up in Baltimore, um, you know, we knew about two filmmakers from Baltimore. You got Barry Levinson and you got John Waters. And it's like, you know, Barry Levinson, I think is arguably probably the more prestigious of the two. He's gone on and done big studio movies. It's kind of the Martin Scorsese of Baltimore. But um, I don't know, for me, John Waters is like always had something unique to say. And so of course I got into him, you know, with his with his regular movies, like, you know, in high school, like I, you know, I saw like, what was it? Um, Crybaby, uh, Pecker, uh, Serial Mom, Love Serial Mom. And it really wasn't until college that I, I saw this documentary about the Midnight Movies. And that's the first time I had ever heard about Pink Flamingos. And I was like, oh, John Waters. Oh, like, I haven't seen this movie. And so as soon as I was done watching that Midnight Movie, I went, went and found a copy of Pink Flamingos. And oh boy, that was a interesting night for me but for me it's like it also it made sense in that like like oh okay so this is where John Waters came from this is like you know this is where he started off and it's like you you can see this progression in his filmmaking from, from to go from there to you know some something as uh, you know at least um disciplined as um serial mom mm -hmm. you know but still, it like still retains that, you know, just that sly, dark humor that, you know, he loves putting in his movies. So just interesting revisit. Thank you for for uh, 
letting letting me revisit this this masterpiece oh it was my pleasure thank you for watching it and sharing your thoughts so for all those who have not seen it um as with many movies that are not only rated nc-17 but are done so prior to the aughts it's kind of hard to find so you i don't think there's any streaming platforms that offer it you can find dvds on amazon or ebay there are multiple versions so you want to make sure you look out for what you get. What we watched was the 25th anniversary edition that was on DVD from 1997. That one, uh, the original aspect ratio of the film was 137, and they kind of did a little letterbox, so they cropped some of it for this. So I guess it feels more like a movie. But if you want the full experience, then you have to get your hands on a VHS from back in the day. But otherwise, look out there for the 25th anniversary, or there is a 2005, I believe, DVD that came out too. Other than that, pretty hard to find, but hunt around long enough and you won't be disappointed, but you most certainly will be disgusted. Uh, before we go, though, one thing we haven't done is we have to determine how spicy is the subversive sauce of this film. Now, this is a completely arbitrary scale, just sort of for fun, just to sort of, you know, figure out where it lies. So anywhere between one to ten, you know, just so as a frame of reference, a talking cat was about a two and a Serbian film was a ten. So how spicy and subversive do you think this movie was, Mike? So again, I'm going to try to get back into my headspace of the first time I saw this movie. And, you know, 22-year-old uh, me that saw it for the very first time, I would, I, I would definitely give it a solid 10. Um, yeah, simply because, yeah, if you're going into it the first time, I guarantee, you know, there's going to be something in there that will shock you. <laughs> I am actually inclined to agree. Uh, this is a, a clearly a different, you know, taste of subversion than uh, something such as a Serbian film. But my God, it is subversive as shit. It it uh, it bucks trends and it really does rebel against the system. So there you have it. Ten out of ten. I want to thank Mike for coming out here, hanging out with me, talking some pink flamingos and some John Waters, hon. John Waters, hon. A little bit of Balmer in there. <laughs> now, I have to get running because I got some eggs that need omelet bowling. Now I want a bow. I know, right? <laughs> Until next time. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.